Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is July 31st, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, or you can email, email me at Jason at OverTheCap.com. Uh, we've got my buddy Nelly here. Nelly, anything? We're lounging today. we got an afternoon session. We're doing a lot of lounging this afternoon, it looks like, for Nelly. So not too much from her. Uh, doing, again, one of our low-calorie kind of beers here for daytime uh, consumption. So it's the uh, Dogfish Head Slightly Mighty today. Um, you know, it's okay. It, it's one of those, if you do the low-carb IPAs, you just have to make sure you don't mix and match with anything else. Like, if you mix and match with anything else, they're tasteless. Uh, but, you know, if it's the the only thing you drink um, for the day or just something that you drink first, uh, you know, fine for like an afternoon or something like that, they're, they're pretty much okay. So, yeah, we're doing the Sunday afternoon session. Yesterday we took, uh, took the kids out. Mainly my son wanted to see um, that... Uh, League of Super Pets, or whatever it was. It was all right. Hey, it was better than when I took them to go see Space Jam uh, last summer. I think I mentioned that when when doing one of these podcasts about how awful that was. Uh, Maybe it wasn't during a podcast. I may have just been mentioning it on Twitter. Uh, But uh, this was okay. You know, it was a cute little movie, um, you know, with these uh, superhero pets with uh, Crypto the dog and everything else. So... Did that by the time we got home. It's like, ah, I got some other stuff to do. And then I wanted to get up early today and just try to get a workout in. And then, uh, you know, got some stuff done around the house. Figured I could break free uh, for an hour or two here and jump into the podcast. So I guess where we start is let's go right back to Kyler Murray. And obviously, I spoke a lot about the contract last week. Thank you for people who gave me some feedback on that just for the, you know, kind of explaining some of the ins and outs of it and everything else. But Obviously, I was dead wrong on the workout bonus clauses. Um, I thought that maybe this is something that they suggested, uh, meaning Murray's side suggested is like a way to show something to the team or the team was going to look to really completely change philosophically, I guess, what they were doing with contracts. Because I said none, none of this goes with the stuff they usually do. Uh, and unless you've been living under a rock, what actually happened was the Cardinals had him agree to a independent study clause, which <clears throat> tied all the guarantees in his contract to basically having four hours a week of uh, study, which tells you right now that the Arizona Cardinals, whether it's the general manager, whether it's the owner, whether it's uh, certain people in the front office, <clears throat> um, they're certainly not as committed to him as you would think, and they don't believe as much in him as you would think. It was an absolute ridiculous clause to have in a contract. I, there's never been anything like it. Never. Um, there's been question mark players before. Um, the, the only thing that I could equate it to would be when you sign or... In the the old CBA days, the pre-2011 CBA days, maybe when you would draft a player, typically an offensive lineman, maybe a defensive lineman, where there were questions about what kind of shape they were going to keep themselves in. And you would have a number of weight bonuses in the contract or incentives tied to weight 
to make certain that the player was keeping his weight, maybe in some cases even like a body fat level, at a certain threshold uh, number at various points of the season and maybe in the off season as well. That's the closest I could come to for this. There's no quarterback that has ever had a clause that has basically said, if you don't study, and while studying, it means studying, not playing video games with an iPad on your lap, um, with you know your, your playbook or whatever open, um, you know, actually studying for four hours, you avoid the guarantees in your contract. You, you basically, it was a default clause. And it was essentially a get out of jail free clause. I mean, some people at first, I think, were like, well, how are you going to monitor that? And it's like, just go, just go back two years ago to the whole COVID thing. There was tons and tons and tons of pop, uh, software that popped up to basically measure employee productivity. And obviously, there, there's been other stuff like that before, but it, it became much, much, much easier. So if you're going to give him digital things to study... And it doesn't have to be throwing a, a you know something in there that would be like a trick, like oh well he didn't see that obviously he didn't study. No, the, there's just ways that you're, you're going to track his engagement with it. Um, and I, I would imagine it's very easy, probably in a given week, to just be like oh you know screw it, like we're playing the Detroit Lions, you know we're we're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, we're playing the New York Giants, we're playing the New York Jets, like. I, we got this. Like this is just an easy week. Um, you know, I, I could very easily see how something like that would happen. Um, it was amazing that somebody actually agreed to this. When this broke, uh, it was around four o'clock in the afternoon, the day he signed the contract. When this story broke, it was like I was getting text messages kind of left and right, like, what is this? I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, w- I wasn't hanging out on Twitter and seeing what was going on. And this just dominated the news cycle for his reporting to camp. And it, it clearly shows you that the workout bonuses were in that contract because the Cardinals didn't feel like there had been commitment to him. Now, I I had mentioned before, um, you know, that he's always earned, as far as I know, his offseason workout. So he's been involved in their programs. I think what I forgot to realize, you know, the last two years have been virtual. So the the off-season programs haven't been the same as what they've been in the past. So maybe there there wasn't, they didn't feel like that level of engagement from him even during that. It's a possibility. But the Cardinals don't have these for any other players on their team. So it was it was very specific to this. And that clearly stated as to why it was there. As to who leaked this... The speed of this leak was unbelievable. Uh, and it went to Rappaport as the, the main uh, voice on it. It did not go to Schefter. Um, so, you know, some people said, well, it was a rival agent. I can tell you the speed at which this went out, there's only two groups that it could be. Number one would be the Arizona Cardinals would be the main one and a lesser possibility that it would have come from somebody within the NFL that was probably looking to stir up trouble. That contract was signed that day. While the numbers come out, the numbers circulate, and the basics of the contract do uh, circulate around the agent community. They circulate around media members. We'll get stuff of it. You see Florio post things on it a lot of times early. Um, The actual minutia of the contract 
really never comes out. Nobody pays attention to it, uh, you know, unless there's something extraordinary in it. And you only find out about that because somebody tells you about it. Now, it was signed that afternoon. So I don't know exactly the NFL process, but I believe the way the process works is that you will sign the contract officially and then it gets submitted to the management council where the management council will give it the thumbs up, thumbs down. If the management council gives it the thumbs up, I believe then it goes through to the NFL systems. It's not going to get circulated until to the agent side until later on. So while someone could get a copy from Arizona in the agent side, um, it would be unlikely it came from there. The tone of the tweet was also not negative to where it would be a rival agent being like, ha ha, look what happened here. It wasn't that. Um, the the uh, initial tweet, I probably should pull it up, but it basically read something along the lines of, as an example of give and take in a negotiation, um, here is this homework clause. In fact, let me pull it up. I'll, I'll read it uh, verbatim here. Contracts are about give and take. One example from Arizona Cardinals QB Kyler Murray's $230.5 million contract. There is an addendum that requires four hours of quote-unquote independent study per game week. It was important to the team making a commitment at that level. Thus, it was important to Murray. Um, typically, the way when stuff gets leaked, there's a lot of kind of... <sighs> regurgitating whatever is told to you. Let, let's put it that way. Uh, and you, you can see it when 10 people will get the same information in a, in a span of 30 seconds and their tweets will be identical, okay? So usually, and this could be different, but usually the, the basics of what is written in the Twitterverse when it, it comes to this kind of speed stuff that comes out usually means somebody gives you this. And this almost read like a self-high five, that was my opinion of it, from Arizona being like, okay, we got this signed. Okay, now it's been made official by the management council. Here you go. Take a look at what we did. Um, you know, that that would be the, that would be the case. Um, you know, he, he did clarify it later on. Um, where he basically said, so let, let me get the timeline on this. Timeline's 4.11 p.m., so around 4 o'clock. And like I said, 4 o'clock is your official deadline for everything. So while it's possible everything went through the management council before, uh, you know, again, that's not my area of expertise. So for player people who listen, if you want to contact me and let me know, you know, that that's cool. Uh, I'm not going to reach out and ask because it's probably silly um, to reach out and ask for. But, uh, you know, time frame wise, it can only come from those two things. To be able to get something that quick when this is not a common thing that people look for. Um, you know, it, it, it just seems like it would have to really come from the team. Uh, let me see if I can find his follow-up tweet on it. Let's see. Yeah, it was followed by the um, agent explanation basically on it. 
He does four hours of game studying on his own anyway, and similar to the team wanting him around for the offseason as a face of the franchise, Arizona wanted a commitment in writing while going to a certain place money-wise, thus this clause. So, you know, I, I would imagine this came from the team now much, much, much later on, I think two days ago maybe, um, when this really just became a firestorm. So Arizona has said they will take it out of the contract. So we'll see what they do because it means they have to file a brand new contract now um, without this in there and without anything... Um, without anything pointing to that. So we'll, we'll see if that actually happens or if they just said it. But, um, you know, Rappaport basically said he was interested in the baseball clause. That's why he was looking at the, at the contract. This is why he needed the contract. He never spoke about the baseball clause that I, that I saw of after that. And I don't know what would be interesting about the baseball clause. Like the baseball clause existed in Kyler Murray's rookie deal. So if the language was in the rookie deal, like you're not allowed to play baseball, you're not allowed to try out for a baseball team, you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that, why would that be of any type of interest right now, especially on a contract that's $230 million with, you know, however much guaranteed, $160 million, you're not going to go back to playing minor league baseball. If you can be successful in the NFL as a quarterback, you're going to play quarterback. You're not going to go play baseball. You know, baseball is safer. Baseball has more potential for a longer career to make money. You're not going to, you're probably not going to make as much money as an NFL quarterback. So I don't really get why any of that would have even been remotely of interest. So this is why I I would imagine uh, that it came from Arizona, but you know, there's, there's a possibility that, um, it would have come elsewhere, but uh, I wouldn't think so. So Arizona pulls it out, but, you know, the damage was already done. Like, they already embarrassed their quarterback, and clearly the quarterback is angry about it. Who knows if he even understood that this was even in the contract? You know, uh, yeah, it was there. I'm sure his agent said, hey, look, you got to study four hours a week. But I, I have a feeling he probably didn't know that this has never been in a contract before. Um, and the st- again, the speed with which it came out is just nuts. And I, I think that is why, I think that's probably one of the reasons why his side agreed to it. It's very clear when you, you look at the deal, when you look at the per game bonuses, when you look at the workout bonuses, and when you look at this clause, they wanted to get a deal done. They just needed, for whatever reason, they needed to get a deal done. All right, that this was not going to be something where they were going to force the issue. It was once you got to a number figure, they would agree to most of the other stuff when it came, you know, to the to the contract. Um, but the problem was this came out so quickly you couldn't run from it because look, when you sign a contract in the NFL. You dominate the news cycle for 24 to 48 hours. It's like that's that's the big goal um, when you release these details a lot of times and you're showing something to your client, you know, you're getting him the headlines for one to two days. And then it fades away. You know, it's the big news when the guy signs, you know, big deal between the two, highest paid quarterback of all time. If you get take the Aaron Rodgers thing, or let's say second highest paid of all time, largest guarantee of all time. It's all, you know, all the bells and whistles. 
you know, it, it, it's the happy marriage. You get to do the, the press conference with your team. The numbers will leak out usually within, in some cases, less than 12 hours. In other cases, maybe as long as like for a big contract, 24, probably maybe 36. And then you fade from memory. And if other stuff exists in the contract, most of the time it's just kind of like a shrug and nobody pays attention to it. If this would have come out two weeks later, it would have been kind of like a eh, whatever, because nobody would be talking about Kyler Murray. This comes out the minute he's, you know, all hugs and kisses with the owner about, you know, his future with the team. And, you know, there are contracts in the NFL that you look at and you go, okay, that's not a real commitment contract. This is a committed contract. It's not like there's not, but it's very clear that Arizona did not view this the way that most teams will view their quarterback. Now, they didn't view it the way that, you know, Jacksonville excuse me, was looking at Blake Bortles or the Jets were looking at Mark Sanchez or, you know, other deals like that where you look at it and you go, all right, these are kind of moves done for salary cap purposes and you're going to end up throwing them a little extra money, but there's not really a long-term commitment. This has a commitment, but it was very clear they were looking for ways to put stuff out there that could possibly get them out of this um, because of you know, what they thought. And it gets back to what I've talked about with the quarterback contracts before. Why are you doing this? If this is what you think of the player, why are you doing it? Why are you making this kind of commitment if you think you need to give him millions of dollars to show up in March and April and May and you don't think he's preparing properly for games that you want some type of commitment from him to do it? Like, it's insane. You look at the missteps, you look at the mistakes that teams have made at the quarterback position, the amount of dead money that they carry for players, you have to be all in on a player if you're going to do this level of contract. This is not like, you know, a, a contract that's 13, 14, 15 million dollars a year where you go, uh, you know, we screwed up. But, you know, we probably would have franchise tagged the guy anyway, so all we did was get an extra year of screw-up money out of it. This would be an epic screw-up. And now the poor kid is going to have to deal with this every time they have a bad game. Uh, did you study this week? You know, how much preparation did you do? What, what was the preparation like? You know, did, did, they, th- did they throw something different at you that you didn't expect? And, you know, you got people digging up old quotes from him you know, from last year, basically saying that a lot of the game comes naturally to him. So what? What do you want him to say? He, he's basically saying, I do a good job out there. All right, that's what you expect him to say. Doesn't mean he doesn't actually do the work. Now, maybe he doesn't feel at that, that point in time like there's that need to do it. He's still a young player. You, you, you learn from these things. You, you learn from getting wiped out in the playoffs. You learn from sucking at the end of the season, which they've done. You know, but Arizona, you know, it's, I don't know. I just don't know what they're doing. I can't follow anything with them. I saw the kind of the betting markets are down on them. And maybe they're down a little too much based on where they were last year. But I don't know. It's, I said it last week. You kind of feel like this is a team that isn't really headed on a path. They're a team with a player. And it's a player that, 
they're not really a hundred percent in on it seems like or at least not everybody is um they're a team that's held together by like tape and bandages and you know hoping shots get you through the year i mean they're an old team they go year to year with a lot of players uh christian kirk to hollywood brown is probably a sideways move you have a lot of guys that get banged up they're not gonna have their wide receiver at the beginning of the season i i just don't see it for them but this it just doesn't make sense it's just it's mind-boggling that they would do this deal and feel the need to have this kind of stuff there you know and they they never should have agreed to this murray's side never ever ever should have agreed to it i understand you, you want to get a deal done and you want those numbers you, you you've been pushing for this deal since february I'm sure there's pressure, you know, as an agent, there's pressure on you because you've got other agents from all sides chomping at the bit, hoping that they can kind of find a way in and take them from you. I get it. But you should never agree to this. Never, ever, ever should something like this be in an NFL contract. It just, it shouldn't happen. Even if you want to say, well, he does it anyway, so we didn't care express that to the team and say show me one other quarterback who has this in their contract show me one other player that has gotten this type of commitment from the team that has felt the need to do this this guy is the best player on your team he's the only reason you're even remotely competitive he's the only young real young player on the team of note there's probably one or two other guys, but you know, you you put all those things on the table and say, no, we're not agreeing to this. You say, you know, what, where where do you want this to go? Do you want your guy to be? Do you want your quarterback to be unhappy and playing out here and just looking forward to free agency? You you just should never agree to this. You know, this is one of those things where. Who knows? Maybe they slipped this in at the last second. Um, you know, the, the way the uh, the old-style sleazy car salesman will th- try to throw something into uh, a contract or something. Like, don't... Don't do it. Don't sign it. You, you created more problems because you thought it wouldn't come out, at least not right away, and, you know, you you had somebody probably on the team... Just be like, oh, here you go, take it out. And if you think it's common that stuff from contracts comes out, how often do you hear about those baseball clauses? How often, and there's not a lot of them, but how often do you hear about the stuff that's in there about voiding guarantees because somebody gets hurt? Uh, Very specifically, it'll be mentioned, like pro wrestling, riding a motorcycle, skydiving, you know, doing certain types of activities. You know, why, do you, why does nobody report, when you hear about a signing bonus of X amount of dollars, why does nobody report on the payment schedules? Because people don't look at that stuff. This isn't, it's not common for the stuff to come out like this. I get that. But just ridiculous to have it in there. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad situation there now for them. And th- this will blow over. But it's going to come back and haunt them during the season. Uh, especially if things don't go well. So, 
We'll see what's uh, what's going on with Arizona later later on as the uh, the season progresses. But I, I don't really have a very very high hopes for that team. Not that that means anything, but you know if, if they don't have a good season, it, it'll be a uh, it'll be rough for them. Um, I think next thing obviously is DK Metcalf. That would have normally been the the biggest story of the week. So DK Metcalf gets his his new contract, and it's a great contract. It, it really is. Um, wide receiver is just incredibly hard right now to value. Uh, it just it just completely is. But if we want to look at where he ranks here uh, from a realistic standpoint, let me just pull up our key metrics page. Let's take a look here, wide receiver. So in terms of your annual per year, he is going to be sixth. But from a realistic standpoint, um, when you look at the numbers here, realistically, he is third in the NFL behind Tyreek Hill and Cooper Cup. Because this is a legitimate $24 million a year deal. Uh, So yeah, just real quick. Contract is three years in land, three-year extension, $72 million, $24 million per year. Total guarantees, $58.22 million, fully guaranteed, uh, $31 million. He gets a $30 million signing bonus. So those are all really big numbers. Uh, I believe that's the largest signing bonus ever given to a receiver. Um, you know, the full guarantee isn't that much, but the you know total guarantee is pretty good on it. Uh, favorable vesting dates, you know, as is typical with the Seahawks, everything is tied to the Super Bowl. So basically that means fifth day of waiver period. So five days after the Super Bowl, uh, I believe it's five days after the Super Bowl is what they do. Um, he'll have his salary guaranteed in 2023. And then tw- um, five days after the Super Bowl in February um, 2024, he'll have his salary guaranteed for that year. So that makes that injury protection much more valuable because, you know, your season ends in December. So you might still be banged up. You still might be hurt during that period of time. When you have the guarantees that kick in in mid-March, you're talking about an extra five to six weeks of rehabilitation time to where you can pass a physical and make those um, injury guarantees meaningless. For a February date, that's that's a lot more beneficial for the player, um, you know, to be able to do that. Uh, Metcalf will become the highest paid player on the Seahawks, besting Jamal Adams, who is hurt again, apparently. He had some fused hand or something. I don't, I don't know. That, what a disaster for Seattle. Um, you knew it was going to be a disaster when they did the trade. You never knew it would be this level of disaster when they did the trade. Uh, it was a one-year window trade, and they turned it into a much longer window. Um, but anyway, you know, the Metcalf deal is its really solid. You know, he's going to make more money over three years than um, McLaurin, who earns 69.6. And he's going to make more than A.J. Brown, who's valued higher than him at 25 a year. Uh, He's going to make 72, obviously. And over that same period of time, A.J. Brown's going to earn 69. And the numbers for that are very inflated, um, you know, to get to A.J. Brown to that $25 million a year Mm -hmm. salary because he's going to have the... um, final year of that contract with a salary of uh, $30 million, I think, which they're never going to pay. Uh, you know, it would be it would be very unlikely that they would pay it. So it's very unlikely to be earned. 
biggest thing for Metcalf here is a three-year deal. And this is something that Seattle continues to do that's very different than the other teams in the league. During Seattle's kind of real glory run, the Legion of Boom run, Seattle was a team that was not doing five-year deals with their guys. Everything was four years, so they were basically one year less than every other team in the NFL. Now, there are some benefits to that, and you've heard me you know, talk about this mainly with respect to signing free agents, but I think this probably also holds true with players that you extend. Many times, you're paying more when you do those long-term deals. You're paying more up front, and you're still cutting the player after three seasons. So you're really paying more, and you're not getting more in return. You're not getting those back-end years. That's where you get the value is getting those players on the back-end. This didn't get there. Um, they they don't get to that point, um, you know, with with Metcalf. And it surprised me a little bit because Metcalf is so young that if there was a player that you would do a longer-term deal with, and right now I think the going time frame for many of the wide receiver contracts probably is four years is really what you, you would be looking for as what you'd want to do. But I, I think what they saw here is that Tyreek Hill was at three, like an effective three. Devontae Adams is an effective three. Cooper Cup was a three on an extension. It's a little bit of a out there deal. A.J. Brown is realistically on a three, and McLaurin's on a three. I, I would have pushed for more with this. And even if it meant blowing up the APY in the last year, I think there is a better chance that in four years... Metcalf is playing at a level, assuming the Seahawks solve something with their uh, quarterback position, to where you can justify a salary that year that bumps his annual value from 24 to 25, let's call it $30 million, something like that, uh, than A.J. Brown in Philadelphia. And I like A.J. Brown, but I I think that there would have been a benefit to Seattle to actually push push the annual value a little bit higher if it meant getting the extra year. Um, but Seattle has always been agreeable to do lesser years on the contract. And I don't know if they're really getting much in the, in the way of a return on that. Now, again, this is not criticizing the deal they did. Um, it's just more of an observation as to some of the things that Seattle does. But if you look at the breakdown on this deal here, uh, let me just pull up the cash flows on this compared to some of the other players in the market. And you can see some of the stuff they did here is such a a big win for him. Um, Let's see. Let me just pull up these players. So the first new year of the contract, he's going to make $41 million. The only player who's going to earn more than that is Devontae Adams, who is going to earn about $43.4 million this year. But that wasn't originally in his contract. That came because the Raiders decided to do it later on. Um, Now, I guess there's a slim possibility that it was agreed to when they did the deal, but usually you would redo the contract right away if that was the case. So they agreed to it um, a couple of weeks ago. So I would actually look at this and say that the Metcalf is actually your highest paid one-year earner because they're not negotiating off that one. They were probably negotiating off Cup at 40.25 digs at 38 uh, 39.9 uh, and Metcalf's 41 that I, I am including here includes that 17th game check they factored that in 
um, to the negotiation. So I'm factoring that into the old money. For some of these other deals where they don't do that, his numbers would be higher. So it's a massive, massive, massive haul for him in the first year of that deal. Blows away. A.J. Brown, 32. McLaurin, 31.7. D.J. Moore, 29.8. Even Tyree Hill at 32.3. Um, you know, absolutely blows it away. So it, that's that's the biggest thing for him. He's going to make $54 million over two years. That's only behind Cup and Diggs. Those players, I believe, both had two years remaining on their contract. Um, Cup definitely did. Let me see if Diggs did. I don't remember if Diggs was in the last year. Let's see. Diggs. Or if he had two left as well. I think he had two left as well. Yeah, he had two left as well. So I, I would I, I would say Metcalf's is more impressive, even though it's less than those two players. It, it's a it's a more likely to be earned amount. AJ Brown's at 53, Tyreek Hill's at 52, McLaurin's at 50.2, Adams is at 50, uh, Moore is at 46. And again, reiterate what a bad job DJ DJ Moore's guys did by doing that deal. It's just mind-boggling. Um, year three, he'll earn 72. That'll be fourth in the market behind Tyreek Hill, Diggs, and Cup. Um Cups at 80.1, Diggs is at 78, Tyree kills at 75. While the Cup and Diggs ones are a little bit more illegitimate, Tyree Kill probably has a chance to earn it. Um, McLaurin's at 69.6, AJ Brown's at 69, Adams is at 67.5, and he's not, he's probably not getting there. DJ Moore's at 62, Keenan Allen will be at 57. Uh, year four, he's a free agent. So, well, some of these some of these other guys are probably going to end up being free agents anyway, like AJ Brown. Um, you know, it's a big win, and it's a, it's a big win to get into free agency and to have an opportunity to uh, possibly renegotiate your contract early as well. You know, if, if they do get that situation settled at uh, quarterback, and they still have a use there for a big name wide receiver. Uh, right now, his cap number that year should be 29.5. I don't believe they used void years. So that would put his tag number at 35.4. And that's that's a great number to be at. So everything when you look at this contract, assuming it's structured that way, that there's no void years, everything you look at this, in my mind, this is all just a home run for him. And it would be very surprising to me if there is a young wide receiver until Jefferson does his deal that surpasses this. When I made that comment on Twitter that I thought this would be the best young deal, first, I, really, it was made in saying that if you look at the deals right now, um, it's the best for the young players on the market. And I think when we actually talk about wide receiver contracts at this point, really, we're looking at two markets. You're looking at players that are veterans, um, that have maybe multiple years left on their deals and you know are kind of in a little bit of a different category for why teams are doing some of those extensions versus the younger guys who have a lot more control um, leveraged on them by the teams and are kind of at a different point. So I, I think what we've seen here, uh, and there, there is a bridge in that first year cash number obviously, but I think what we've seen here is that we're looking at A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, D.J. Well, D.J. Moore has been surpassed, but you know D.J. Moore, Mike Williams. That group is like kind of Group A, and then I think we've got 
Hill, Adams, Hopkins, Hopkins is just thrown out at this point. Um, Cup and uh, Diggs, I think it's like Group B. And I think it depends on where you're at as to whether there's going to be any validity shown to some of those veteran contracts um, that exist right now. And there's going to be a lot of different ways that teams try to manipulate these numbers. But getting back to the point that I made about Metcalf being kind of like the top younger player, you know, then people were bringing up, well, Debo, Debo, Debo. I, I don't think that Debo Samuel will get a contract that's as good as this. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, Debo's numbers obviously were terrific last year. And he's coming off a high point because they used him as a running back. So he had a bunch of rushing touchdowns, and that, like, got a lot of attention. He probably got more attention because of the rushing, you know, the the being used as a weapon in the rushing game than he did for the fact that he did put up 1,400 yards last year, which is really good. <laughs> um, you know, he had 800 yards as a rookie, which is solid, and he's hurt the next year. Um, Metcalf, I, I think when you look at Metcalf, he's someone that's probably had a more consistent career. Um, you know, 900, 1300, 970, uh, you know, dominant in terms of touchdown kind of targeting. Um, you know, it, it's question how it's going to be, how is it going to work out now with, um, you know, without Russ there. But I, I think if, if I looked at the two, I would probably look at Metcalf and say safer. I'd look at Samuel and probably say higher upside, um, but much bigger downside, I think, potential. Um, you know, even just in terms of being healthy and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I understand where people go with the it's the next man up kind of strategy. But I... I, I don't know. You know, you you have to you have to look at the teams that you're dealing with. San Francisco is a very different organization than Seattle, and this is not to pick on Seattle, but uh, Seattle I think has a tendency um, to kind of focus on the guys they want to keep, and they're willing when push comes to shove to do a deal that they think is very very fair. Um, and as long as it's a player they want to keep, they're willing to reach top market numbers to do it. Now, you'll, you'll see in many of the contracts pros and cons for both sides of it. But, you know, if you go back to, like, Russell Wilson, you know, that was a decent contract they gave him. Richard Sherman, top of the market. Earl Thomas, top of the market. Now, that was they didn't get pushed, or, pushed around as big on the Earl Thomas deal. But, you know, top of the market. Bobby Wagner, top of the market. Jamal Adams, top of the market. Percy Harvin, top of the market. You go kind of through and through. You can see when they, they have these players that they like, they're going to go above and beyond to get the deals done. Maybe it takes time, and maybe there are certain things that they're looking for um, that they will get in it, but they don't push on per-game bonuses. They don't push on uh, workouts. They give very, very favorable vesting schedules. Now, they're not doing the full guarantees. That That's one of the places where there is a trade-off. The Seattle Seahawks don't end up doing most of the time the large full guarantee basically they'll they'll throw a giant signing bonus in there and you know the, they'll, they'll do injury protection they're not like the way pittsburgh used to be or the way the packers are or the bengals are they do injury protection and they do very very favorable vesting dates like i talked about before but they're willing to push the numbers and they don't push on those other things 
that might save them money. They don't push on years on the contract. Like I said, they're more than willing to do a three here, despite the fact that he's so young. Uh, in the past, they were always willing to do fours when all the other players at those same positions were doing fives. So, you know, it's not picking on Seattle. It's just an observation about what they do. San Francisco, when San Francisco digs their heels in, San Francisco is a very difficult front office, I think, to work with. Uh, they're really smart. They, they, I think they do a great job when they want to do a great job. When uh, Brian Hampton and Prague, they, they, when they're kind of in charge of the, the show, um, and you, you can tell the differences, I think, when it's um, football administration really focusing on the deal versus Lynch probably getting a little bit more involved in the deal. You can usually see the differences in some of the stuff that happens with their contracts. But this is a team that's all about per-game bonuses for everybody. This is a team that's going to push the years on the contract. This is a team that's going to have vesting dates that are like April vesting dates. Now, they did make a little bit of an exception with George Kittle in terms of doing future guarantees. Seattle doesn't do the future guarantees. Maybe they can get a future guarantee because they, they did set a little bit of a precedent there. But again, everything is tied to April. Um, they look to, to not, you know, set threshold numbers. Did they do it with Trent Williams? They did. But... There were some ways they got there where they got him there with funny money that he would earn when he's like 38, 39 years old or something like that. Um, you know, it really wasn't the top of the market contract. Close, but it it wasn't there. You know, Garoppolo's made it just barely to the top, but they got a lot of per game bonus stuff in there and they had a lot of outs in that contract to where, you know, when I talked before about a little bit of a dip-the-toe-in kind of contract. Garoppolo's maybe was a little bit of one that was, you know, a little bit of a dip-the-toe. It was not as committed as, say, Kirk Cousins from the Vikings. And I think that was signed the same year. Um, so, you know, they're a very different organization. And even though it's the same agent, that doesn't mean anything. You know, you're dealing with different organizations and you're dealing with organizational structures um, in the way they do their deals. San Francisco... And, you know, I've said, I, I don't know exactly why they're keeping Garoppolo around. I would think it's protection at this point in case Lance really gets, isn't any good or, um, you know, gets hurt. But, you know, one of the things they can do is probably cry poor in any kind of contract thing right now and be like, well, we don't have the cap room to do like a, you know, giant amount of money this year. You know, we, we don't have that. And you can say, well, you know, release your quarterback. Go, we're not going to release a quarterback. You know, we're, we're trying to we're trying to trade him. If you want to wait, then you can wait. But your guy's got to get on the field at some point in practice. Because at some point, these hold-ins, I've said it before, there, there are teams that, that are going to, um, you know, break down on these hold-ins. That this hold-in stuff isn't going to happen anymore. Um you know, but I, I'm just looking at Kittle's deal here. I would say at a minimum, you're looking at 500000 a year in per-game bonuses. Probably a five-year contract is what they're going to do. Probably at least 100000 a year tied to workouts. Um, and all April 1st vesting dates. I mean, that, that's, that's really what you're looking at here. Probably no incentives or limited incentives, I, I would think, in the contract. Um, 
you know, and I, I can't imagine that they're they're going to operate on the Seattle paid forty one million dollars in the first year. We have to pay forty two million dollars in the first year. I I would think they they've been talking more in the thirty million dollar ranges. You know that AJ Brown number thirty two, thirty three, thirty four. Um, you know, maybe they're willing to go there. You know, do I think they'd be willing to go to 72 over three? Probably, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. But I, I think that they're also going to want a legitimate, at the very least, they're going to want a legitimate year four. You know, that that's going to add another 24 onto it. Not a, not a 20, not a fourth year like AJ Brown's. That's a 31. So, I, I would be surprised if he comes in above Metcalf in a lot of these metrics. Even if the annual value ends up above Metcalf, I would be surprised if I looked at it and said, this is a better contract than DK Metcalf's. I, I think I'd be really surprised. I, I would say that the only way that that would happen is if it's another one of those scenarios where I, I get that feeling like John Lynch comes in and just says, hey, let's let's think this over let's let's just get this done let's have it happen um you know and things like that do happen from time to time uh not just with him but with other people you know when coaches would get involved or owners get involved and whatnot uh but that that would be the only way i would see that uh i think the last thing that i just really wanted to discuss this week before i get into the couple of questions that we um that i got here I think was really mainly about Orlando Brown. Uh, it applies to Jesse Bates as well, but I'm not sure if um, too many people are really following that. You know, for for a team that was in the Super Bowl last year, the Bengals just don't get that kind of coverage, uh, whereas the the Chiefs do. So it, it, I think that's one thing. But you know, Orlando Brown and Bates, they, they, neither of them have signed their tenders, so. Technically, they're still kind of, they're not on a contract to the team. Uh, everybody calls them holdouts. They're not really holdouts. I don't really care if people use that word. Uh, I'll use it occasionally only because that's what other people use. Technically, they're not. I mean, they're not signed to a contract. They don't have any obligation to be there. But I, I've started to see some people who begun to get upset. And it's more about Brown, not uh, not in Cincinnati, where it's like, you know, he just needs to get there. He's got to realize that, like, He's under contract. It is what it is. He's not getting an extension. He's just got to go out there and prove like he's worth more money. And you know, it, it, none of that's really true. Um, so just a couple of things. You know, now the training camps are nothing like they were in the the pre twenty eleven CBA. This is why when you have the football players who are working in the media now, and they will tell you like these guys have it as easy as could be. You know, these guys that have two-a-days, everything was in pads, be beating on each other all camp long. This, to them, I'm sure they look at training camp right now and think it's like a resort, you know, it's like a resort vacation. It's like th these guys are basically going to like, uh, I don't know, like sandals or so <laughs> something like that, um, you know, for their training camps. But a lot of veteran players feel as if they know how to manage their body. They know how to prepare mentally and physically for the season, and they don't need to be there in training camp to be ready to play. So um, they don't they don't feel like they're really impacting much, at least from an individual perspective, from missing training camp. And so a lot of times, the timeline that they put on it is just reporting after training camp breaks. So they don't have to worry about that stuff. 
they come back when it's time to get paid so you don't lose any game checks. And I'm sure I'd be very, very surprised if Brown were to actually miss game checks. Um, you know, but you wait until that point in time and then you come back. And in some cases, you might get an exemption, meaning you'll miss two weeks. You might miss two weeks of the season. You don't really care at that point um, because you're going to get paid. So, you know, that that's the strategy that most use. The second thing is that players aren't locked in. Yeah, they're locked in on a contract for the year, but it's not as if the contract can't be modified. So he's set to earn about $16.7 million this year, a little bit less than that. Um, there's nothing that says that he can't come back and throw a counteroffer and say, look, I'll come back if you pay me twenty. I'm not saying they'll do it. I'm just saying that he can offer that. Um, he can he can come in and say, okay, I'll come back. I'll play 16-7, but I want something in my contract that says I'm not going to get franchise or transition tag next year. He can ask for something like that, you know, or maybe say that um, you know the transition tag and the non-exclusive franchise tag don't apply because next year. Um, the exclusive tag at this position, this will change, uh, but it's about thirty million dollars. You know, by the time the, the by the time all the restructures happen, it'll probably be close to twenty five. But still, that's more than he would make if he got franchise tagged a second time off his current contract, which would be about um, you know in the ballpark of twenty. So those are things that he's able to negotiate, um, even if he's unhappy with the team. You know, and rather actually not be back there. Uh, I don't think that's the case, but you know, he has the ability to negotiate to get better terms to come back. The other thing is, a player like Brown, player like Bates, they don't gain anything by playing another year. If Kansas City didn't think that Orlando Brown was worth twenty-three million dollars a year after last season, there's nothing he is going to do this year that is going to make Kansas City say, okay, he's worth $23 million. Maybe they'll just come to the conclusion that he's worth $23 million. You know, maybe they'll just decide, okay, you know, we don't have any other options and Pat likes him and maybe it's worth it just to have him there just for that purpose. Um, But... In actuality, that, that has nothing to do with his play. You know, they, they've basically decided when you, you hear about numbers that they offered him, which sound like it's probably in the eighteen million dollar a year range. That's called a value on a position. They have a value on a position, and maybe they're willing to go up, down a little bit. You know, a little bit of movement in there. But I think when you look at it, you would say this is their valuation of that position, and that's what it is. And I think that what they're thinking is probably light compared to what he would get as a free agent. Um, But I don't think it's ridiculously light. So, again, there's nothing he can do this year that would impact his value elsewhere if he's a free agent um, either. You know, there's no, at this position in particular, I mean, there's no quote-unquote balling out that you can do that is really going to open the eyes of other teams. I mean, he plays left tackle. Is there, and I'm not disparaging the offensive line. Offensive line is, you know, it's important to the game. Um, But I'd recommend that you read the article by Pro Football Focus where you kind of look at, um, 
there's a level of competency that's very important. And then there's not much you gain above that level. Um, that's not their words. So those are my, my words for it. Uh, but I, I would check that article out. And, you know, it works as a unit. You know, if your left tackle, if Orlando Brown gives up nothing, if he gives up not even a pressure, but you've got a right guard and a right tackle who are just getting your quarterback hit left and right, it doesn't matter. And it's not like there's anything overtly that gets done at these positions where, you know, you're like a, a wide receiver and, you know, maybe you have a 1,600-yard season. You know, the, the, the thought that he's going to do something this year, and, you know, Bates, there's only a minor, minor, minor chance that he would. You know, it would be something like he had eight interceptions, nine interceptions or something this year. Um you know, and a couple return for touchdowns or something that would be eye-opening. Um, that there's very little, you know, that you can do at these types of positions to to really stand out. You know that that's just the the fact of it. So he doesn't really gain much by playing, besides the fact that he's going to earn that big salary. So he's not going to not play, and I'm sure Kansas City feels they have leverage too. Because I, I'm sure they look at it and they're like, "Well, we like, you know, we like who we have. Um, you know, we we like we like our other options if he doesn't play." But I, I don't think I, I think the 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 talk about it I think has just been off as to why he's maybe not coming back, what his options are, and what getting back quickly means to him. Um, now, unlike Le'Veon Bell, I mean, could he re-earn that $16.7 million, um, over the course of his career? Yeah, I, I mean, maybe, because there, there's a longer span of time that you can play at this position. And um, like I said, I, I think you would get a better offer from other teams than what he turned down from Kansas City. Um, maybe by two million a year, but again, like on a five-year contract, that's an extra ten. That doesn't make up sixteen. So realistically, he he would have to assume that he was definitely going to get a contract in free agency if he was to sit out. And remember, even if he sits out, they can tag him again. Uh, his hope would just have to be they don't do that. But you know, for him to hold out, he would have to basically be guaranteed that he was going to get like 22 or 23 a year for it to probably be worthwhile to to not risk that chance of injury. Um, because if he got to 23 and he had turned down a, um, you know, an 18 contract, you're talking about an extra five a year over five seasons. And well, yeah, guys don't always play their, con most guys don't play their contracts out. This is a position that has a decent chance of it. Um, as long as he played three years, he would probably earn back the 16-7. And you know, you'd have a chance of uh, earning a lot more if he gets to the back end of the deal. But, you know, I, I would say it's unlikely. You know, I, I wouldn't, I, I certainly wouldn't advise, you know, missing game checks. But just some things to keep in mind when we talk about the two players um, not reporting to camp, and in particular Brown, um, because that, that's the one I think that's gotten much more attention. 
All right, let's look at Twitter for some questions here because I don't think I saw anything in my email this week. Okay. All right. Dave has a question. What's your thoughts on paying two great wide receivers? The Bengals and Eagles look like that decision is coming down the pike. Chase and Higgins, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. Almost positive how he will extend Smith as soon as eligible, but in terms of resource allocation, do you agree? Um, it's an interesting question. I, I think the way that I would look at it is your ideal contract makeup is probably to have, and this would be closer to the Eagles situation, you have a guy just coming into an extension while your second star receiver has a couple years left as a rookie and you can stagger those two contracts in that way. Um, yeah, Chase and Higgins would probably be... Where is Higgins in terms of uh, an extension? He was 20... See, that, that one's going to be closer. That That's going to be a tougher one um, because you, you're not going to be able to stagger the stuff as well. When, when you look at these situations, I think you can stagger the two numbers. And the thing is, the way a lot of these players work out, um, you know, if you look at A.J. Brown, uh, just as an example here, and I think A.J. Brown's a really terrific talent. Um, you know, he's 25 this year. He, let's say he plays uh, four years um You'd be looking at 28. He'd be turning 29 um, four years from now, and you know that that's when his cap hits. Let's see, what would AJ Brown's cap hits be? Five, seven, eight, three, twelve, four. So in the fourth year, you'd have to deal with a 27 million dollar contract, and you know Smith's case. This just to use this as an example. Um, you know, Smith is not extension eligible until after this season. Um, so let's say they did the deal with him after the season and they followed the H.A. Brown structure. You'd be okay because, you know, you'd basically be, um, you'd have $8 million Let me just uh, let me just write these down. Whoops, that's the wrong button. So if you had Smith done in 2024, all right. So we're going to call that 2024. So let me make sure I get the right years for that. So in 2024, you would have a 12-5 cap hit for A.J. Brown, and you would probably be able to get Smith somewhere between... You'd probably have him around like nine. They didn't have to worry about the numbers for A.J. Brown, the, the existing proration numbers, and Smith's will be higher. Um, but you know, probably around nine. So your actual positional investment from a cap standpoint would actually be very affordable. The following year, A.J. Brown would be at 27, 
and you'd probably be looking at a cap hit, I would guess that would be in the ballpark of like 15, which gets a little higher. But again, I think that's reasonable. And then I think at that point you move on from Brown. So I think it's a good way to stagger your contracts that way. Um, Doesn't mean that, you know, you would always get in there and do that. But I think that that's probably the, the right way to do it. Now, if you do have a situation where you have two young guys where, you know, you draft them back to back. Uh, and it doesn't mean you're drafting first rounders back to back, just that, you know, one guy worked out that you drafted, say, third round, and then you drafted a first round of the next year. Um, you know, I, I think you can do it. I, I think you just have to be somewhat careful with it um, because. You know, that is a lot of money then at the same time that you're committing to that position. So with the staggering, you can probably keep the cap hits very manageable while you develop a third to eventually uh, replace the A.J. Brown type who you'd be releasing versus this where you'd be locked in on the two guys and more likely than not, the two great quote-unquote great wide receivers would probably both fall apart at the same time. You know, unless they're two dramatically different types that you had like a Keenan Allen type or, um, you know, maybe like a Diggs or something like that where they they have, uh, you know, Keenan Allen would be the the main one, you know, that's just really stayed consistently, I think, as he's gotten older. Um, I, I think you would run a risk of both guys being kind of ineffective at the same time, having a lot invested in them in the salary cap, and as well as, you know, financially. And then at the best, your your draft would only replace one. So, you know, it, it, I don't think it would work out as well, like over the long term. Short term, yeah, you know, it, it's probably okay. But I, I think what I... I, I I think, again, if it was me, what I would do if I was in the Bengals situation, uh, I would, you know, you let this go another year, see how things play out, and I'd probably look in the draft again, you know, for drafting another receiver. So I have another guy to develop, and now I can make my decisions as to how I want to stagger these contracts, you know, how I want to do this stuff, um, you know, and go from there. And while that, that might be a lot to invest through your draft at wide receiver, uh, I would rather invest the draft in that receiver than, you know, going into free agency and paying $18 million for a B-level receiver. Um, so, yeah, it, but it, it's an interesting question, and other people probably have a, um, you know, very different opinion of it. And it might have to do with the type of offense that the team runs. You know, how important is the actual wide receiver to the offense versus the scheme? Um, you know, th- those things come into play, too. Uh, let's see. Next question. Uh, Josh asks, can you go through why the CBA would have a 50% rule and how Mike Greenberg is exploiting it with the Jones and Hicks contracts? Uh, okay, so Julio Jones signed, I don't know why they signed him for $6 million, but they signed him for $6 million. And the numbers looked all bizarre. So when the numbers came out, my first thought of it was, sounds like a 50% down rule, uh, but I'm not certain. Um, turns out, yeah, that, that is what it is. Uh, Brad and Troy figured that one out. Um, so basically what the CBA does not want teams to do 
And this, this dates back to the, really the original CBAs where your spending was tied to your salary cap stuff. But what they didn't want teams to do was to structure contracts in a way to where they would sign a player, possibly in like a lost season, and you would pay the entirety of his contract on the salary cap in the first year of the contract, and then you would have him for the next like five years for like a million dollars. Um, similar to what San Francisco did with Garoppolo, right? They they had Garoppolo at a ridiculous salary cap charge on the first year of his contract. Uh, where was it? Jimmy Garoppolo had a $37 million cap charge on the first year of his contract. Um, you know, they had $20 million the next year. But the, the thing that it's to avoid is San Francisco being like, okay, we've got all this cap space. We're probably going to stink, but we want to sign our quarterback anyway. We're going to structure a contract that has Garoppolo at a cap hit of like $48 million or $50 million in the first year, then like $10 million, $12 million, whatever. It's in theory to keep some type of competitive balance and to make sure that the team is spending on an entire roster of players, not just investing all their salary in one season on one particular player. So what the rule states is basically if the salary cap charge in the first year of the contract is 50% more than the salary cap charge in the second year of the contract, um, the difference between the two is treated as a signing bonus. So basically it, it makes them prorate the money out um, over the course of the contract. So what they, they've done in Tampa Bay is, and they, the Eagles were the first to, to start to do this with their contracts um, as a way to prorate money uh, and you know still have certain types of control over the contract, basically meaning if you trade the player, you would still get uh, financial consideration for it, um, you know, for weeks that he hasn't played. And the bigger one is that you can have per game bonuses in the contract and you can still prorate those per game bonuses because typically a pro, uh, per game bonus is not going to prorate unless it's in a contract that's signed um, after the season begins or after the, after the preseason ends, I think is how it works. Um, you're not going to be able to prorate it. So basically this gave them the ability to prorate an extra couple of dollars with Jones. It's not a lot because it's only the uh, likely to be earned portion of his bonuses, so maybe 500000 bucks or so, um, that he can prorate over the contract versus them just doing a signing bonus or a guaranteed roster bonus that they would normally do. Um, you know, the salary, the base, I think it's two five. So, I mean, it, it does give them a little flexibility as well if things don't work out and they want to try to trade him, that they can get a little bit more. But that that's really what they're doing is it saves him a couple extra bucks by prorating um, certain things out. And if he doesn't play at all, you know, you'll get credits on that in the future as well on your salary cap. Uh, Eddie, what happens to the cap when a player is put on IR before roster cut? So the Raiders placed Kyler Fackrell on IR this week, so we've lost him for the year. Will his guaranteed money be dead cap? Um I mean, it's, I guess in a sense, it's dead cap because he's not going to play. Uh, he's still guaranteed his salary. Um, typically, if you're on IR, you're guaranteed your salary for the year. The only difference is that there are certain players, typically lower level guys, um, 
you know, younger players in the league, uh, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round draft picks, third round draft picks in the first year, um, street free agents that you're signing in January, February, guys that you're filling your roster with over the course of the year. They have what's called a split salary. So when they go on IR, the salary drops down. So if you're like a third-year player uh, whose base salary is eight ninety-five, your salary will drop down. I think it's to four eighty this year. Um, so your salary cap charge drops down to that. But the guaranteed money is guaranteed. Um, so if they were to cut him, he's still going to earn that plus whatever other money there is. I'm not. I don't have his numbers up, but uh, you know, um, you know what that would be. But I mean, you could look at it as dead cap. You could look. You can look at any player as dead cap if they're on IR for the season. Um, you know, you're getting no return on your investment for the year. Uh, Colin says, is it fair to conclude that the loser's curse by Massey and Dollar that no one is actually good at drafting? Um, I don't know if there's really any proof that anyone is, like, great at drafting. Uh, there are certain teams, I think, that do a better job with their draft. I, I think you can look at... Um, certain things that, that teams do. But typically, I think it comes in the later rounds. I think when you, you look at, which is probably what their papers are more about, um, you know, the, the top of the draft, I think the traits that teams look for at the top of the draft are pretty much universally accepted. And while we might pick on teams like, I don't know, the Jets, the Lions, the Browns, for getting so many, like, busts at the top of the draft, the Jaguars... Um, the reality is most of the time every other team in the league has those same exact players rated like top 10 or top 5 um, you know maybe it was just dumb luck that the Jets wound up with Vernon Golston you know there, there's probably a bunch of teams that would have done it you know there's other teams that would have drafted Jamarcus Russell first when the Raiders did it um but I think when you look at some of the later drafts that teams do, I think you get more fluctuation in what teams look as valuable and not valuable, whether it's looking at college film, whether it's looking at certain types of athletic traits that maybe um, are very specific to a position. Maybe it's looking at, um, you know, the, even if it's just the age of the player, uh, you know, different kind of things. And I'm not saying that you're going to find that there are teams that are um, you know, perfect at it, but I think you can probably find a couple of teams that do exploit the inefficiencies in the process um, and maybe do some stuff there. That, that's just my thought on it. But I, I think at the top of the draft, I, I think it's I think it's probably true because more often than not, when you see these big boards, um, you know, especially your, your top ten players, top fifteen, it's pretty much the same. I mean, there's some different orders to stuff, but you know, if I have Vernon Golston rated 9 and the Jets took him at 6, you can't mock the Jets for that. You'll say, oh, they're so bad at this they drafted that guy. It's like, there's a bunch of other teams that would have taken him top 10. It, would he have been less of a bust if he was taken at, top, at number 10? No. He's still the same lousy NFL player. So, you know, I, I, I think there's definitely some truth to that, to the, some of the teams that are, um, you know, or all the teams that, you know, are at the top. And then you do get this 
nastiness when you don't have that ability to get a quarterback or you get the quarterback wrong. You just constantly end up in the top of the draft and everything in the top of the draft is basically 50-50. Um, you know, and then it's a question of the the 50% of the time where maybe you get it right, is that player really a game changer? You know, again, I'll use the Jets as an example. You know, Leonard Williams is a good football player. He's not a game-changing football player. Jamal Adams is a good was a good football player. I don't know what he is anymore. Um, it's not anything that changes your fortunes around. So it's like, even if you do well, it doesn't change the fact that you're not changing your team because you're, you're not getting players that make a difference, even though those players individually are good at their uh, respective positions. Mark says, thoughts on uh, not only what the Chiefs offered Orlando Brown... Uh, but what do you think they can do next year to satisfy him? Brett for Brown says they want more security. Uh, if they can't agree, could they trade him? So they could still trade him as long as he's agreeable to a trade. Uh, he would have to sign his tender to be traded. Um, I spoke about Brown a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. I thought that they lowballed him. Uh, not terribly, but I, I think they offered him a contract that was very much based on what the market was prior to the right market, uh, right tackle market changing. So I think they offered him a deal that they thought was fair and he probably even would have indicated was fair last year. I don't think those numbers were fair anymore based on the context of the market. Um, you know, but I, I think that from the way he's spoken about it, or I shouldn't say he's spoken about it, reading between the lines as to what's been reported about it, I think he wants to be paid $23 million a year. Um, and I think that would be the only thing that would probably satisfy him. So I, I don't know if there really is a long-term um, solution that would happen here. Uh, my guess is there is not. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, let's see, question here. Um, let's see, I know Ajabo is not signed because of guarantee negotiation for second rounders. There's no hurry because of injuries. Is there any benefit for him to sit out and re-enter the 2023 draft? Losing two years to UFA outweighs any cash from 2023 first round selection, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's no reason to ever re-enter a draft, especially in this system. Um, there may have been a, a point in time where you could look at this and say, okay, you know, you, you could go back in the draft like your quarterback or something. You got a team, you were first number one overall pick and you didn't like the team that selected you because um, the money would be there and the careers were longer at that point in time if you worked out. Nowadays, they're not. So it, it's, you, you want to be in the pros if you, you're, you know, already a second round selection. That's pretty good. Um, so... I would say that's that's what you're gonna want to do. All right, let's uh, check out last batch of questions here. All right. Uh, David says, which non-rookie contracts are the best in football? 
Uh, I'd have to give that a little thought, but I mean, Patrick Mahomes' contract is the probably the best in all the NFL right now. Um, I don't think there's anything really even remotely close to it. Uh, DJ Moore's contract is basically a gift to Carolina. That, to me, is a good one. I'm just going position by position. Um, I think George Kittle's deal is very good for San Francisco. Um, left tackle, eh, nothing really stands out too much. I mean, the, the Eagles tackle, maybe. Um, really nothing at center. Um, guard, not really much. Right tackle, probably not much there either. Um, defensively, just looking at your top players, you know, it's something that really stands out here. You know, Hendrickson, right now that looks like a steal at 15. Um, you know, Hunter's deal has been very good for a period of time in Minnesota. Uh, you can argue about, you know, injuries and stuff. But he's been, you know, he's been very good. Um, you know, a lot of your safeties in the $13 million range, you know, are pretty solid contracts. Um, Howard, for a while, at uh, corner in Miami, uh, was pretty good. I think J.C. Jackson's deal will be pretty good for the Chargers. Tredavious White's a pretty good contract for Buffalo. Um, you know, but really, re realistically, it's that Patrick Mahomes deal is just a just a tremendous one. Travis Kelsey's uh, I forgot about that and tight end. You know, that's that's an awesome one as well. Um, but I have to get a little bit more thought on that. Uh, Brendo DK contract thoughts. So I think we've covered that. Uh, <laughs> who's going to be a better team, the Giants or the Jets? Oof, it's not a. Not a pleasant thought for Sunday afternoon. Um, <laughs> my son today asked me, "Why, why do the Jets never win?" I was we were talking about the football season coming up, and uh, he only watches a little bit uh, with me the games. But he's like, "Why we always root for them and they always lose?" So he he's learning. I said, "I'm not making you root for them. If you want to watch with Dad, you can watch with Dad. You don't have to cheer for him. You can choose a different team." Um, I think the Jets will be the better team this year. I think the Jets have the more talented roster. Um, I, I, there's more potential from the quarterback on the Jets uh, than Daniel Jones on the Giants. So I, I think the Jets, I think the Jets have the arrow that points more up than the Giants. Um, you know, I don't know what the kids are doing upstairs. I'm sure the microphone is picking that one up. It's some kind of dancing or something. I have no idea. Um, I think the Jets will be better. I think the Giants are going to be pretty bad this year. The Giants are just kind of cutting through the scraps of, uh, you know, what's left on that team. Um, now, I don't know. The Jets, the thing I'll, I'll say with the Jets is if Zach Wilson sucks, I, I don't think there's anything that we've seen from the coaching staff last year that would make me think the Jets are going to be good. You know, the, the other week somebody asked me about, like, well, you know, what would happen if the Jets were, like, a good team but Zach Wilson wasn't any good? Like, what would they do? And it's like, I can't picture that scenario. At least with the Giants, you've kind of got, like, a blank slate at head coach. So, 
you don't know, maybe that staff can do something um, special. Now, the one benefit I, w- I would say to the Giants about being a quote-unquote better team, um, there are times when you bring in a new coach, a new system, where you just catch teams off guard, and they're not prepared for the same stuff. And that, that would be the only benefit I would think the Giants would have over the Jets. Um, I kind of like the vibe from the Jets out of camp so far. Uh, I know that you always take everything that comes out of camp with a grain of salt, but um, just even like the little videos I've seen of the players, there's like a there's a different energy to it than I think there's been in the the last couple of years. Doesn't mean there'll be any good. Um, just that there there's a little bit more. Um, I think there's more enthusiasm. It seems like from the team versus like eh, we're collecting a paycheck kind of vibe that. Certainly came, I think, during the Gase years and maybe even came a little bit last year um, with some of the guys that, you know, I I think we're just happy to be getting a chance to play in the NFL. I think the Jets actually have some legitimate talent this year. Um, And, you know, I think anything under seven wins from the Jets would be a real disappointment. I know some people are going to say, well, you you want to be better than seven. Yeah, I want to be much better than seven. I think seven wins for the Jets, um, you know, where you're in a lot of games and your quarterback plays well, I think would actually show progress, even though you'd you'd rather be at nine or ten. I think seven would actually show progress. Because, you know, seven wins, bounce the ball, you could probably be at nine. Um, I don't think the Giants have that same... I, I don't think they have that same upside there. But if, if Wilson's terrible, I mean, the, the Jets have a, a chance to be really, really, really bad. Humbaba, uh, if Joe Burrow calls you out of the blue and asks you to sort his contract out, what would your uh, be your advice and ignore, Watson's, uh, ignore Watson's contract in this case? Um, would you say more upfront cash and more guarantee? Um, so I would always say more upfront cash. I, I don't care about the guarantees uh, most of the time, especially for the quarterbacks. Uh, I think if I was giving advice and you know Cincinnati's a pain to deal with, um, my advice would simply be you're a great player. You know, you, you're going to have every team in the league is going to be interested in you. Um, it's going to defer your money for a little bit of time. But you know what? Just say you're happy playing out your rookie deal. Let them franchise tag you. Let them franchise tag you again. Let them franchise tag you a third time. Once you get to that third tag, you're going to be making as much as pretty much anybody in the league, and then you can punch your own ticket as a free agent. And, you know, screw Cincinnati for not wanting to come to the table and do a deal that's going to be, um, you know, up to that level. So I I would – that's what I would do. I would say I want one of these quarterbacks to do what Kirk Cousins did, but – I don't want that quarterback to be a mid-round selection and do it. I want a quarterback who's a top pick, a top 10 pick, to do that. I want a quarterback who's looked at as a legitimate Super Bowl quarterback, not a, not to disparage Kirk Cousins, but not a, a guy who's a decent starter in the NFL. You know, I want one of those guys to do it and change the way that quarterback contracts happen. And I want that money to be such that, you know, those numbers start to get high to where we start getting a a fluctuation in your quarterback market. 
um, you know, where your really good players make a lot of money and your second tier guys, there's an actual second tier, not just a top tier and then like a mid tier and then a low tier or rookie tier is basically what it is at this point. Um, I think that would be better for the league and it would be better for their teammates because the franchise tag would be blocked from other players uh, on the team. Uh, why is Tampa nor Los Angeles going to win the Super Bowl this year? Um, Rams, I'd be surprised if that's a repeat. You know, they, they got a career year out of cup. I don't think that that will be duplicated this year. I think teams will devise ways to... Uh, limit that kind of connection. Stafford is not the kind of player who is going to carry a team on his own. Um, so I, I don't. I think the Rams will be a playoff team. I, I don't think the Rams will go back to the Super Bowl. Uh, I think Tampa's too old at this point. I know you never doubt Brady. Um, uh, Tampa just kind of running it back, running it back, running it back, and now with a. We're going to see what Bowles can do second time around. See if he learned from the first stint. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, neither of them. I, I don't think I'd be uh, sold on either of those two teams. How did the Titans' expert cap management lead to their victory in the twenty twenty two Super Bowl? Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not sure about the Titans. The the Titans to me are a team that is going to. Uh, drop out from where they were last year. Um, and, you know, we'll see where they end up a couple years from now. Out of all 32 cap situations, whose GM uh, would you be if you had your choice? Uh, out of the teams right this second? Uh, so let's look at 2023. Um well, you know, for selfish reasons, I, I think the Giants, just because it's my area where I grew up, um, and even though it's the other team, you know, I rooted for, I would like that ability to have this cap room and kind of have a, an ability to completely rebuild the team. I think the second team I would choose would be Chicago. Uh, just they have ridiculous amounts of cap space and maybe they have a good quarterback. I think those are the two teams that I would be interested in. Um you know, if that was just just looking at it from like a cap perspective and kind of what you have in the roster. Um, how do practice squad call ups count against the cap, or do they? Um, they will. Their salaries will increase to the minimum level. So, if a player makes, um, I don't know what the minimums are this year. I forget. But let's say a player uh, makes fourteen thousand dollars. And their base pay, if they were on a regular contract, would be forty-two thousand dollars. Their salary cap number would increase by that that amount. So whatever, what's the difference between those two? You know, about twenty-seven. Um, so that that that's how you do that um, for when they do. But the practice squad players do count against the cap. But yeah, their numbers increase when they're elevated to the active roster. How would the Giants be able to fit Jimmy G's salary into their cap if they traded for him? Um, they would need him to take a massive, massive, massive pay cut. Uh, Giants only have $5 million in cap room. I can't really see what they would do, nor is there any reason for the Giants to um, you know, do anything stupid like uh, restructuring Leonard Williams or Kenny Anderson or something like that just to 
fit even restructured Jimmy Garoppolo. To me, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, you, you would wait for someone to get released, and then you would look to see if there is a creative way that you can do their contract to give them an ability to earn money um, while at the same time not having it count on the cap. You know, and the Giants were so bad last year, I'm sure you could do stuff with uh, performance incentives that would have like a team improvement clause with it, and you'd make those incentives somewhat easy, um, reasonable to earn. I mean, uh, let's see. Let me see what his numbers were last year, if you could even do that. I, I, I don't really see where this is a match. Like, to me, Baker Mayfield made sense for the Giants to, to look at. This doesn't make sense. Uh, I mean, you can give him incentives for touchdowns, but even those are reasonable that he had last year, 3,900 yards. Um, yeah, it, it would be a, you know, it'd be a difficult, um, you know, a difficult situation, I think, to make it work. But yeah, I guess you could do some team improvement stuff with... Uh, some pretty minimal thresholds, and maybe you could keep the numbers off the cap. Uh, which teams spend the most on second contracts, which sign the most players to second contracts? Uh, I'd have to really look that one up. Um, you know, off the top of my head, um, you know, I, I would say the Eagles probably are a team that extends a lot of their players, the Cowboys probably a team that extends a lot of their players um you know th there's other teams that are very much free agent teams um you know the bills probably have a lot of extensions on their team right now um uh, minnesota i would think in the past would be a team cincinnati would probably be a team pittsburgh would probably be a team that falls into that and the packers um, you know, you, you're, you're looking at teams who have some type of successful history and don't go into free agency that often. So I would guess those are the teams, but I, I'd have to actually really run those numbers out to see where that would be. And I think this is the last question here. Andy says, how fast do you see the uh, quarterback tag number going up? It was under 30 this season, and most are projecting it to be very low 30s next season, which could have some distorting effect if it becomes very cheap relative to market rate. Um It'll take a while to go up. The The new system, the old system was salary cap charges in a given year. The new system is salary cap charges over five years. So the numbers are pretty much already locked in um, for the tag next year when you're talking about a non-exclusive tag. Uh, the exclusive tag is gonna, is gonna vary. Um, I think the, the franchise tag formula needs a change. I don't know what that formula change should be. Um, you know, first-year cash doesn't really make sense if it's a one-year deal because first-year cash in contracts for quarterbacks is outrageous. Uh, you could do an average, you know, a three-year average. Um, that would probably be more realistic sometimes than the, annual, uh, than the salary cap charges because the salary cap charges for quarterbacks, because they make so much money, and by for the most part, um, they the expectation is they're going to last with the teams, even if they don't. The, the expectation is they're going to last. It's like the first player you go to restructure. So it's not, you know, that often, um, you know, that the, the quarterbacks always are going to have, like, the highest cap charge even on the team. 
uh, or that the highest paid, I shouldn't say that, the highest paid players are going to have the highest um, salary cap numbers, which go towards making the the numbers stand out. So I I think you you would have to see like a complete change in formula um, for that to be really changed around. All right, I think that does it for me. I'm just quickly glancing at the timeline here. I don't see anything. I don't see anything in my email. So I think I am done for the week. So everybody have a great week. Nelly, you have anything? You've been very, very quiet. I think Nelly's eating some hay. Timothy Hay for Nelly. Good job, Nelly. Um, So everybody have a great week, and I will talk to you all again soon.